This morning's scripture is from John 14, verses 10 through 14. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do these works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Good morning. Did you did you listen carefully when Johanna was reading? Some serious promises in there, isn't there? I'm not sure why, but oftentimes when I come to the text at the beginning of the week to begin preparing for the sermon, I I think of it like I would have, I I don't know if I'm trying to do this or if I just do this, but basically I think of it, oh yeah, kids can be dismissed for grace for kids. (laughs) Sorry. I think of it like I would have when I was a kid. What would it be like to hear this as a kid? And to hear that I can do, not, not only can, but will do greater things than Jesus did. And anything I ask in Jesus' name, he will do it. I'm thinking, Man, that sounds pretty good. Okay, well, it's not, it's not quite what you may be thinking, that is, kids. But, but here's been my prayer consistently this week, is that you all, including all of us as adults as well, would realize that what this is, it's, it's not, you know, you become a Marvel superhero and you get a, a genie that you can just rub the lamp and out comes everything you ask for. It's not that, but my, Steady prayer through this week has been that you would see, that we would see that it's greater still. You, you think, you think I can do greater things in Jesus and I can, he'll, he'll do whatever I ask him in his name and, and these things come to mind. What this is is not probably that, but it's, it's greater still. So you'll do greater works in Jesus and Jesus will do whatever you ask. In his name, that sounds remarkable, and it is, even more than what you're thinking. There's more to it than just that, which is why we have to have a sermon. But Jesus' words are good news. They're great news. So the big idea of this passage is that on account of being one with the Father, on account of the fact that Jesus is one with the Father, on account of his sacrificial death having been accepted by the Father, and for the glory of the Father, Jesus' followers, this is the promise, the command, the statement, the declaration, Jesus' followers will do marvelous works and have our prayers answered. And so the main takeaways for us, for all of God's people, are to courageously obey Jesus and pray expectantly to Jesus. And so to help you to see these things what they and what they mean and what they look like in practice, we're going to look carefully at the two main clauses in this, the two main claims in this passage. Number one, you will do my works in greater still. You will do my works in greater still. That's 10 through 12. And you will receive whatever you ask in my name. That's 13 and 14. Before we do, let's pray that even bigger than Marvel superhero power, 
uh, we would see that this is better still. God, thank you for your word. And I, I pray that as I proclaim it, I ask above all that it would be the truth, that nothing in my words would be anything other than your mind and your heart for your people, and that it would be in love. God, I, I love this people. I, I love this church, and I pray that uh, they would understand that because you have put your love on me and all of us, that out of that, as we love you out of with all that we have, flows love for one another. And so I, I, I pray above all that the truth and love is all that this church would hear this morning, that this people would hear this morning. I pray that in that, though, the truth that they would hear is that God's people do God's works. It's a gift. That's that's awesome that though we are dead in our or we're dead in our trespasses and sins, you've caused us to come alive, to no longer desire the things of the flesh, but the things of the spirit, the things of righteousness. That more of a miracle than that I could run across Lake Superior in my bare feet. More than that is that someone who was your enemy, who had my mind set on the flesh, unwilling and unable to do works of righteousness, now can do works of righteousness. That's a greater promise and a greater miracle. And I pray that we would hear that and see that in this text and that we would love that and give you praise and glory for that. And and as well, that more than just granting us three wishes or however many wishes we want for our our own sake and our own purposes, we would see that greater still is the fact that you accomplish good works among those who were formerly dead in our trespasses and sins, largely through prayer in the name of Jesus. Again, far better news than a genie in a bottle. Thank you for that. I pray that you would give us heavenly insight to understand, heavenly faith to believe, to love, and to cherish this, and heavenly courage to obey all that your word tells us here. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the two main clauses or two main claims in this passage are that Jesus' followers will do Jesus' works, and greater still, that's the first one, and that Jesus' followers will receive from Jesus all that we ask of Jesus in Jesus' name. Let's consider that first claim first. The sermon is mainly focused on 12 through 14, just those three verses. But for context, I included 10 and 11 as well. So just a couple of sentences on how 10 through 10 and 11 frame up what we're going to hear this morning. So from 10 and 11, we see that the mighty, marvelous, miraculous works, words and works of Jesus spoken and done by him were the words and works of the Father. We see that in verse 10. They were said and done according to the Father's will, in the Father's indwelling strength, and for the Father's glory. We saw most of that last week. They were spoken and performed by Jesus in order to demonstrate that he was in fact one with the Father, and in order to elicit belief, to garner belief, to... to Create graciously belief in those who heard and 
saw him do those things. And so rooted in those things, Jesus' oneness with the Father and the reason he did the things he did and the things he did and rooted in those things about Jesus and his relationship with God is a promise from Jesus to all of his followers. It's built on that. And so verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, Grace Church, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in me, he said, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. The heart of this promise is that Jesus' post-resurrection and ascension ministry would be more powerful than was his ministry while he was on earth. That's a big claim. So let me give you the big claim again, and then tell you what's underneath that. The heart of this promise is that Jesus' post-resurrection ministry would be more powerful than was his ministry while he was on earth. And the five pillars, according to this this verse, that hold that up are these. Jesus did marvelous works. Those who believe, that's important, that's the second pillar, will do those works and greater works still because Jesus went to the Father. So let's consider each of those five pillars. Since the main claim of verses 10 through 12 is that Jesus did marvelous works and that his followers would do those in greater, greater ones still, it seems like a good idea to quickly review Jesus' works. What were his works? All right, so I found a helpful summary. There are several places, many places, where John in his gospel explicitly says these are the works of Jesus. He he uses that same term to describe what happens. And, and here's a good summary of them. The expression, the, the works of Jesus, is used repeatedly in connection with Jesus' ministry. So if Jesus' followers are going to do, those who believe in him are going to do his works and greater still, what are the works? John explicitly has indicated that it denotes uh, evangelizing the Samaritan woman. That was, that was the same phrase, the same language was used when Jesus evangelized the, same, the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. The healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5 and chapter 7. The healing of the man born blind in chapter 9. Many times when Jesus would perform a miracle, this language was used. Chapter 7, 10, all throughout 10, 15. Jesus' teaching in general especially in chapter 10. When Jesus taught, it was referred to as his works. And then lastly, Jesus' entire ministry generally. And so in other words, in John's gospel, the works of Jesus are explicitly said to include his works of ministry and healing and teaching and even his miracles. And so before we move on, and I probably don't really need to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, we, we have to get our heads around this. You, you have to understand this. Jesus didn't merely teach a life-changing message or two. He did that, but he didn't merely do that. He didn't merely perform some particularly impressive and sacrificial acts of service. He did that, but not merely that. He didn't merely show significant courage in the face of fierce opposition. He didn't merely walk in a unique measure of holiness. Again, All of these things he did, but in addition, Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, walked on water, calmed the storm, fed 5,000 plus men, plus all their wives and children with a few fish and loaves of bread, fulfilled centuries old prophecies, and lived for more than 30 years on earth as a man without a single sin of affection, intention, thought, word, or deed. 
These are the works that form the backdrop of what Jesus promises in this passage. That leads us to the second pillar. The works of Jesus' promise that we're going to come to in just a second is not for everyone, though. Do you see that? So Jesus is going to promise something to those who are hearing him, but it is not for everyone. He couldn't have been clearer or more emphatic on who it was for, though. We just saw the backdrop of Jesus' promise, namely the works that he did while on earth. Now we'll consider the recipients of that promise. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen. Jesus is saying, listen, listen carefully. And he's talking to his disciples in the upper room, the night in which he would be betrayed and, and arrested and tried. And the next day he'll be crucified. And so he says, truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. It is critical for you to understand this as I am about to leave and go to the Father. I'm about to make a promise in relation to the works that you've seen me perform. You've followed me for over three years now. You've seen me do and heard me say things that are remarkable. And I'm going to make a promise to you in light of those things. Grace Church, this promise is for us in light of these things. It is an awesome promise. My fulfillment of that promise will be a significant means by which I draw people from every tribe and tongue and nation to myself and give glory to my Father who is in heaven. The promise I'm about to make is for you and all who believe. It is a significant means by which the nations will be discipled and the Father will be glorified. And the promise is for all of you who have and will believe in me. It is for all who believe that I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. Who believe that to know me is to know the Father who believe that to see me is to see the Father, who believe that I speak not of my own authority, but that on that of the Father, who believe that my works are the Father's works, who believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, who believe that by way of the cross and resurrection and ascension, I will bring about the forgiveness of the sins of the world and I will return to the Father. Do you believe these things? Do you believe these things? Do you believe in Jesus? If so... Got a promise for you, and it's it's a good one. Number three, third pillar. What was that promise? Once again, the beginning of the promise is that those who believe in Jesus will do the works of Jesus. Let's finish or continue on in that sentence in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, not everybody, this promise isn't for the whole world, it's for those who believe in me. What is the promise? The beginning of it is, If you believe in me, you will do the works that I do. Those who believe in Jesus will give ourselves to doing the things Jesus did. The grace of God and the nature, this is, gotta hear this. The grace of God and the nature of genuine belief. Who's this promise for? It's for those who believe. What does it mean to genuinely believe? The grace of God and the nature of genuine belief are such that Christians are never passive. The mature Christian life is not primarily one of isolation and meditation. The mature Christian life is busy at doing the good works of Jesus in the world and among the people that belong to Jesus. Let me say that a little bit more explicitly because it's more significant than maybe you realize. 
Jesus' declaration is, at its most basic level, a declaration that Christians spend our lives caring for the poor and vulnerable, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, teaching one another and admonishing one another according to the will of God, bringing and maintaining order to a world steeped in sin, the chaos of sin, bearing one another's burdens, praising God, holding back evil, the things that Jesus did. Everyone, Grace, everyone, everyone who believes in Jesus will do these things, the things that Jesus did. If you don't, you are not a Christian. You can't be a Christian, according to this verse, and not do Jesus' works. The grace of God leads us to believe in Jesus. That's how you become a Christian. And the grace of God works the works of Christ in us. That's how you know you're a Christian. It can be no other way. Let me give you an important clarification and then a simple, somewhat silly analogy. The clarification is this. Jesus was not saying that every Christian will do every work that he did. As we consider the promise of Jesus in light of all the works of Jesus, it might sound like Jesus was saying, hey, if you really believe in me, everything that I did, everyone who believes in me will do also. Some have mistakenly claimed that it means all Christians, John talked about this a little bit this morning in Berea, We'll just be able to name sickness away and raise the dead and perform miracles and walk on water. 1 Corinthians 12 explicitly prohibits this interpretation of this passage. What Jesus was saying instead is that he walked in perfect righteousness. Everything he did was the work of the Father. He showed us the works of those who hope in God. He modeled for us the whole spectrum of godliness. He was the perfect man. And if we believe in him, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we will be increasingly marked by doing those things. All right, here's the simple analogy in case you're not tracking quite yet. If you play golf, you play golf, or you play golf, uh, if you play golf, you probably know you're only allowed to have 14 clubs in your bag. Those are the only clubs that you can use. At the same time, if you play golf, you definitely know that you don't use every club every time. In fact, many people never use some of the clubs in their bag. I know people who have a very expensive driver who haven't hit it in 10 years. It goes the wrong direction. Every shot you take has to be with one of those clubs, even though you don't need to use all of them. Likewise, the works of Jesus collectively are the perfect example of godliness. Our works must be from among Jesus' works, even though no one will do all of them. There's one more important word of clarification here. We've just seen in verse 12 that verse 12 contains a promise and a command from Jesus that his followers will do the works he did. Verse 11 tells us one of the key reasons why Jesus did those works. And therein is one of the key motivators for us as we follow his example and obey his command. Jesus' works were done to help others believe in him. The loving, sacrificial, miraculous works of Jesus make it obvious that his message is true when the grace of God gives us eyes to see. In the same way, God has determined to use our works, grace, the things you and I do, as a means of helping others believe in him also. As we give ourselves to doing the things that only make sense, if Jesus is real and our belief in him is genuine, by God's grace, others will see them. These works that we do, Jesus' works that we do and believe in Jesus as well. And so the question is, two questions. Number one, do you see that this is better 
than what you might have thought it meant? And second, is this your heart and your life? Do you see that though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, the grace of God that opened your eyes to behold the holiness of God and the sinfulness of your sin and cause you to throw yourself upon God for mercy, that he receives you and forgives you, all who who do that, who call upon the name of Jesus and then begins to transform you so that instead of doing the works of the flesh and the works of death that we loved before, we now do the works of Christ. You see, that's better news than whatever you might have thought it meant. And secondly, is that your heart in your life? Is your heart filled with love for Jesus and those he came to save such that you truly long for others to know the saving grace that you have received? And is your life ordered in such a way that out of your love and longing flow works, the works that Jesus did, that others might see and give glory to the Father who is in heaven? Jesus commanded and promised that these things will be increasingly true. They will be for all who truly believe in him. Number four, if that were all that Jesus said, that would be amazing. (laughs) But it's not all that Jesus said. He wasn't done yet. As big as the first part of his promise is, he expanded it even further. Not only would those who believe in Jesus do the works that Jesus did, but greater works than these will he do as well. Remember again the backdrop, the teaching, the miracles, the prophecies, the sinlessness of Jesus? What could it possibly mean that believers in Jesus would do the works he did, let alone greater works still? What what could that possibly mean? There's been a few suggestions, mostly bad. I'm going to tell you two of the wrong ones and then tell you the right one. First is the idea that since Jesus would have millions of disciples, it's true, so millions of people would believe in Jesus, it makes sense to say they would do greater works, and so as in far more. In other words, Jesus did a bunch of really good works while he was on earth. He would have millions of followers. So just numerically, we would overwhelm Jesus in, in with a, the number of works millions of people can do versus one. All right, well, that's true, but it's not what Jesus meant. Greater, in this sense, has nothing to do with numbers. A second wrong possibility put forward is that Jesus was speaking only to his disciples or apostles. Indeed, the disciples were able to. We, we read this in Scripture. They They cast out demons. They did heal the sick. Peter preached a single sermon in a single language that many people, thousands in different languages, heard and came to believe in the name of Jesus. Both Peter and Paul raised someone from the dead, and on and on. Those things are impressive, and they are works that Jesus worked. But it's hard to see them in any way, in that way anyway, as greater still. Jesus works were greater than those works, even though those are great works. And it's as well, most certainly not what Jesus meant either, since he said, whoever believes in me. Well, if not these things, if that's, if neither of those wrong interpretations are right, what did Jesus mean? And the answer is in the final clause of verse 12. There's a grounding clause. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do, and here's the key, you see it, because I am going to the Father. So whatever Jesus meant by greater works, that those who believe in him will do greater works than these, it was rooted in those words. It, it was his going to the Father that made possible greater works than these in 
whoever believes in him. The shortest and simplest version of what Jesus meant by greater, third possibility, is that new covenant ministry is greater than old covenant ministry. And it is greater for three main reasons, the Word of God tells us. First, the works Jesus did during his ministry on earth only pointed to what was to come. Jesus' works were great, but they were ultimately the promise of a greater future grace. In spite of, and we need to settle on this, every marvelous work Jesus performed, every miraculous work that Jesus performed on earth, in spite of the true, truly greatness of what Jesus worked, the world would still be lost in sin if it had ended at the point of his message to his disciples in the farewell discourse. In spite of all the miracles, in spite of all the remarkable teaching, if it ended there, the world would still be lost in sin. Jesus' works on earth were evidence that he was who he said he was and that faith in what he was about to do is right. Going to the Father, though, changed everything because it was on the other side of Jesus securing eternal victory for all who would believe in him. He ascended to the Father's right hand only after going to the cross and taking upon himself the full measure of the wrath of God for all who would believe in Jesus. That is amazing. That's why this is better news than whatever you might have thought it meant. In other words, Jesus' followers would do greater works in this first of three senses, and that their works were done once victory was not only promised, but secured in Jesus. Second, the new covenant works of Jesus' followers are greater still than Jesus, and that they are done by believers in whom the Spirit dwelt. Jesus was the first man to experience the permanent indwelling of the Spirit. His entire ministry was done in perfect submission to the will of the Father and in perfect empowerment by the Spirit. Prior to the new covenant, the Spirit would simply come upon certain people for certain times to accomplish certain purposes. But on the other side of Jesus going to the Father, the Spirit would dwell in all who believed in Jesus, empowering us to do greater works than these. We're going to get here in a couple of weeks, um, but in chapter 16, he makes this point explicit. Chapter 16, verses 7 through 9, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's, it's greater. It's greater for you if I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. If I do not go to the Father, return to the Father by the way of the cross and the empty tomb and the ascension. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, same language, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Victory is secured. Death is defeated when Jesus goes to the Father, and in that way, greater works than these. Finally, third, Jesus' followers would do greater works in the sense that in an entirely new way, the good news of God's salvation would go out into the world. Gentiles, non-Jews would see, delight in, and come to the light in unparalleled and greater ways than ever before in the history of the world. God's commission was always that his chosen people would be a light to the nations. Or neatest passages in the Old Testament is Isaiah 42, where God promises that and declares that. 
but it was only after Jesus went to the Father and the Spirit was sent that this took place in greater fullness. Read that in Acts 10 and throughout the book of Acts. What an awesome promise. What an awesome reality that we are now living in in this new covenant time. By God's grace, may we live more fully in light of that grace. May we do the works of Jesus and greater still as we minister in the new covenant time filled with the Spirit and the victory of the cross as evidence of the genuineness of our belief and as the means of God's grace to come in a believing way to others. May we proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior with greater earnestness and courage. May we do so with greater expectation and confidence in light of this Awesome verse. And may we do so while believing truly in the pro- that this promise of Jesus still stands for whoever believes in him. Well, all by itself, all of that is awesome. <laughs> like if, if, if that's, if we, that was just verse 12 was the sermon. My goodness. And yet, just as Jesus was not finished by promising that his followers would do his works, he also was not finished by promising that they would do greater work still. Immediately following those two awesome claims, Jesus made another staggering promise to his disciples. Look at 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The promise is still, you'll notice, only for those who believe in Jesus And it is still made possible only by Jesus having returned to the Father by way of the cross. Once again, this needs some explaining. And once again, nothing in the explanation diminishes what it means, only enhances it. In its simplest and most basic sense, verse 13 means that we can pray to Jesus that he always hears us and cares about us, that Jesus is sovereign over all things, and that Jesus is pleased to work his purposes through our requests. Again, all by itself, that's almost impossible to imagine. When you consider the fact that we can do the works of Jesus in greater still, even though we were once enemies of God, lost in darkness and in treason, in the same way, we say every week in the exhortation, not not only is your slate washed clean, not only are your sins forgiven and you're brought on to brought out of your sin debt, not only those things, but God also adopts you into his family as his beloved sons and daughters. And in that way, not only can we do the works of Jesus, but we can approach the throne of grace and freedom and in confidence through Jesus. And so again, for for Four key clauses for us to cling to as we hang on to this promise of Jesus and live in light of it. The first clause is found at both the beginning of 13 and 14. 14 is almost entirely an echo of 13. 13 tells us that it is all for the glory of God, and 14 tells us that we pray to Jesus in Jesus' name, but otherwise they're an echo of each other. It's worded slightly different in each, but... The essence of both is the same. Whatever you ask in 13, and if you ask me anything in 14. Understanding what Jesus meant by whatever and anything is key. And all four clauses in this these two verses point to the same answer. 
While it is good to take your every request to the Lord, pray about everything, Grace Church. That, that's a that's another command in the Bible. Everything. We, we make our requests known to the Lord. Hold nothing back to Him in prayer. Not because He's looking for the latest information or He doesn't have it already, but because He loves you. That That is a command of the Lord. That is a privilege that we have, but that's not really what this passage is about. All four clauses point to the, the same answer. Make your request known to God, but again, that's not this. This is one of those verses that is especially important to keep in its context if we really want to understand it. And the context is the disciples doing the works in greater still of Jesus. In other words, the beginning of Jesus' promise here, this promise about when we ask anything in his name, he will do it. The beginning of Jesus' promise here is that his followers, as they do what he has just said in verse 12, as his followers set about doing the works of Jesus and greater still, as Jesus' disciples, those who believe in him, seek to obey his commands concerning making disciples of all nations, caring for the poor, doing the works that Jesus did. As they do that, we ought to turn to him, turn turn whatever and anything that comes our way back to Jesus in prayer. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Simply, the beginning of this promise is the idea that we should hold nothing back in prayer as it pertains to us doing what chapter, verse 12 says we need to do. As we do the works of Jesus and obstacles come in our way and joys fill in us as we see Jesus faithful to his promise, though whatever and anything is turning those things back to him. Second, second clause in my name. It's also repeated in 13 and 14. Jesus promises for those who offer their prayers for the grace of God to work out in them the good works of Jesus and greater still to Jesus in Jesus' name. This too points to the fact that the whatever and the anything are not indiscriminate. To ask for something in Jesus' name is, again, I said this at the very beginning, not to think of Jesus as the magic word, the secret password, the rubbing of the lamp so that the genie comes out of the bottle and does whatever you ask. Three wishes. I want more wishes. That's my first wish. That's something to keep in mind whenever we pray, by the way. But instead of, instead, to ask for something in Jesus' name is to ask for his sake. It is to ask as if it were him that were asking for it. It is to ask for the things that Jesus wants. It is to ask for his purposes. It is to surrender our own will and desires to his. It is to ask in complete confidence that he alone is mighty to answer. That's what it means to ask in Jesus' name. Again, I I wonder how different our daily prayers, even before dinner, would be in Jesus' name if we were to keep this in mind. We most certainly would ask for different things in different ways and to different ends. And that's what Jesus was driving at when he spoke these words to his faithful followers. And the main point then, in this context, is that Praying in Jesus' name means praying and asking for him to accomplish his purposes through his works in you and I as we do them as believers. Third, the third clause is the great promise. When we do what Jesus commanded, ask for Jesus to meet whatever needs arise as we seek to do his works for his purposes in his name, he will do it. For a third time, 14 echoes 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I will do, 13. And 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. According to God's design, 
and reflected in this promise of Jesus, the means by which we will do greater works. You're thinking, okay, Jesus has made me to do good works, prepared in advance, to do good works. The works that Jesus did, the works he did are the good works that I'll do as I set about doing that. The means by which that will be accomplished under the new covenant in his blood, that the nations might believe in Jesus, is prayer. You see that? Our prayers for his works to be done in us will be answered, since our prayers are a means that he is sovereignly determined to accomplish his purpose in this world. So let us consider his works and his commands carefully. Let us look to Jesus. Let us have our eyes wide open as we read through the Gospels and the whole of Scripture. Let us consider his works and his commands carefully and strive to obey in faith. And as we do, let us ask Jesus to provide the help that we need in Jesus' name. And as we do, let us expect that Jesus will be true to his word. So set your sights on the evangelization of an unbeliever in your life. Draw to mind someone in your life who does not yet believe in Jesus. Set your sights on evangelizing them, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God to them. That, that was one of the works that Jesus did. Set your sights on that. Ask Jesus. Pray in his name. Ask Jesus to grant you love and boldness of heart, clarity and power and word and share an unwavering expectation. He will do that. He will hear your prayers. Set your sights on caring for the fatherless and the downtrodden. Ask Jesus to grant you the selflessness, the resources, and friends you need to do this well. Ask in Jesus' name that he would be pleased to comfort, heal, and father them through you. And then sign up to be a foster parent, or a Together for Good host, or visit an orphanage, or become a social worker, all in order that all who see you doing these things will believe in Jesus and trust that Jesus will be true to his promises. Set your sights on teaching, some of you, God's ways to God's people. Those were among the works that Jesus did. Ask Jesus to grant you love for his people, insight into his will, joyful obedience to his word for the favor of those charged to lead the flock. And then do all you can to make the Bible come alive for God's people eagerly expecting Jesus to do what you ask in his name as you give yourself to this work of Jesus. Read the word of God, learn the works of Jesus, pray without ceasing, obey sacrificially, trust implicitly. Finally, the ultimate motivation for all of this is given to us as well in 13. And all that Jesus did and all that he commanded and all that he promised, as well as in all that we ought to do, the good works that we do that are Jesus' works and greater still, the prayers we pray in his name. When we believe in Jesus and seek his help to obey his commands, he will empower us to do his works and more so that, do you see it? The Father might be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Oh, Grace Church, may we learn to live and love the chief end of man. By God's grace, may we learn that the glory of God is the greatest treasure. May we learn that there is nothing we might give ourselves to that comes within a million light years of the worth and satisfying power of the glory of God. May we do everything, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, may it be for the glory of God. So I want to close with a real-life example of this. 
I want to give you an example of this exact thing. This, the works of Jesus and greater still, empowered by prayers in Jesus' name, of Jesus keeping his promise. I want to give you an example. I want to show you what this looks like in practice. Consider with me in closing Acts chapter 4. The chapter opens with John, the one who is telling us of these words of Jesus, who tells us the promise of Jesus along with, along with Peter. So the point is John wrote John's gospel. John recorded these words of Jesus after he had seen the things that I'm about to share with you from Acts 4. This wasn't a concept for John. This is something he had seen and watched the Lord be faithful to in his own life. So Acts chapter 4, it opens with John and Peter proclaiming Jesus. So Jesus had already died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. So on the other side of this, after he returned, this, that's his promise, Jesus' promise here. Again, you, you see you see that, right? Do the works that I do and greater still because I'm going to the Father. So he had gone back to the Father, Acts chapter 4, as a result of Peter and John proclaiming the gospel, calling others to believe in Jesus. As a result, 5,000 men plus an unknown number of Women and children became believing believers. They did the works of Jesus, Peter and John, and greater still in the new covenant spirit indwelling ministry. Much like when Jesus was ministering on earth, the religious leaders of the day, the rulers, the elders, and the scribes interrogated these men. Unwilling to give an inch in the face of this opposition, these men boldly declared, I love this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here are the people that have the power to crush these men, just as they had crushed, they thought, the Savior. They did Jesus' works of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven and greater still. In the name and power of Jesus, that all who heard might believe, both in their words and in their works that testified to them. Impressed but incensed, the Jewish leaders commanded Peter and John to be silent. Who are these guys? Who are these unlearned men that speak like this? Be silent. Rather than being intimidated, though, as I imagine, <laughs> easy to be intimidated, they praised God for what had happened. They gave thanks to God for being able to do Jesus' works. They rejoiced with their closest friends and together, they prayed the kind of prayer that Jesus commands. They did his works, and then they prayed. They did the works that Jesus did, and greater still, and then they prayed. Sovereign Lord, listen to this. These are the words of the apostles. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. What does it look like to ask anything in Jesus' name, and he will do it? This is what it looks like. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, Acts 4.24, and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together again against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Everyone, everyone gathered against Jesus to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. This is still their prayer. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand. Let us keep doing the works of Jesus and greater still with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see this? That's, that's what this passage looks like in action. John was the one who wrote our passage for this morning, records Jesus' commands and promises concerning Christians doing the works of Jesus and greater still, empowered by faithful prayers in Jesus' name. He's able to experience just that. He did the works of Jesus and prayed as Jesus commanded and experienced what Jesus promised. It should be no surprise then that chapter 4 ends with these words. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, they finished praying, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May it be so, and even more, Grace Church, in Jesus' name, to the belief of the world, in the glory of God.